men and rompers are just. Mm. It is good. <laughs> I will. I will concur on that one. <laughs> that might be another intro right there. <laughs> <laughs> You're done. We have so many good moments tonight. <laughs> Don't trust the gazelle with a rocket launcher. This is the Gals of Geekdom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Gals of Geekdom podcast, episode three. My name is Crystal, and I'm one of your co-hosts, alongside Eva and Aaron. But we also have a guest with us today. Um, please introduce to the show, Miracle Man. Hi. Hi, Crystal. Hi, Eva. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for having me on this evening. Hello, Miracle Man. So, uh, yeah, I think one thing that we've decided to discuss and talk about is something, a little segment we decided to call Roblematic Things, as in relation to Rob Liefeld. So I will ask everyone else to take away from this discussion because there's been a lot of Roblematic stuff this week. Well, like I was saying, or like I was saying before you started recording, like when has Rob Liefeld ever like written X Men? Because he's been posting the tweet "Make X Men Great Again." Like he was somehow involved with the great era of X Men. I mean, he's not he really John wasn't. Byrne. He's not Chris Claremont. Who does he think he is? Equating, uh, I think he's equating uh, sales numbers. You know, uh, it, it what he that was wasn't drawing. even X Men, was it? It was X Force. It was X Force, absolutely. But you know, the the X series of characters they sold a lot of units in the '90s. Of course, Turok Yearbook One sold a lot of units in the '90s, and I <laughs> think today is uh, is uh, lining uh, better uh, bird cages throughout America. I think, I think uh, to give a little bit better context to this. Um, what, let's just say Rob Liefeld has been tweeting a bunch of random things that he shouldn't be about the X-Men, including, and I quote, make X-Men great again. Yeah, that was gross. Particularly X-Men, which has, you know, long been a a story about, uh, you know, the oppressed, really. Uh, Marginalized. But they were were young when they saw it, so they didn't understand that concept. They still don't understand it, Crystal. They don't. <laughs> I hate. I hate the concept. Okay. I hate. I really hate the concept of. Um. And I hear Chuds say this all the time. I'm gonna use the word Chuds again because I'm. I'm an avid back issue diver. I like to go into comic book stores and find myself some back issues. And often or not, I hear conversation of the Chuds in the comic book store. You know. And I've heard multiple times throughout the years of how like the LGBT community. Or, like, minorities have ruined the X-Men. And I just kind of... You're missing the point of the X-Men, right? Like, like how I mean, are you yeah, an X-Men badly, fan? Badly. It's, my, my theory is that they uh, they started with the cartoon, which had really, really limited politics in it. And uh, then they, never, they bought the books but never read them. And then they put them down for 30 years and came back. And they, they read them with the books, which haven't really changed at all since then. And now they're like... Oh my god, I disagree with this. I want books that are not political unless they match my political ideology, which is, incidentally, fascism. Um, they, they want the X-Men just to be a little more fashy. So is that, is that, sorry to interrupt, but is that what, when, is that what Rob means when he says make X-Men great again? He wants fascism in X-Men? Oh god, I hope not. 
I, I don't, don't know what he means. I don't think he's a fascist. I think he's well-meaning. He's just dumb. I, I, I think there are people that when they say stuff like that, uh, that's exactly what they mean. They mean turn down the what they call SJW politics and, uh, and, and just either make it politically neutral or... Um, or, or right-leaning, which, which would never make sense in any Marvel title, but most especially the X-Men. I don't, I don't even think they want it neutral. I think they just want it right-leaning. Right, right the power oh, of a thousand slaves. Remember that one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jawbreakers. That's, uh, that's a good one right there. Uh, oh, no. God, don't even get me started on my end. I think, he, I think it's more... Uh, I, personally, I think, uh, uh, if you don't mind me interjecting... Um, I think uh, Liefeld is basically saying he, he wants to see those kind of sales. Let's let's give it the most – here, let me back up. I'm going to give it the most kind interpretation possible, and I'll say what, what he's trying to say, and, and I, I'm a supposition. Uh, he wants to see those sales units again. He wants to see X-Men selling like it did back in the day when million-dollar print runs were common. Well – you know, there's a couple of things that's going to ultimately prevent that. Number one, uh, the print media in general is dying. It's been dying for 20 years. Everybody yeah. on earth knows that. And number two, you know, we're we're looking at a different era. People collect comics based on, um, and and you see it pretty starkly now. You people people collect based on rarity. So you know, you have a Detective 1027, or you have a you know, one of these big books, the Action Comics 1000, the Spider-Man 800. You know, Action Comics 1000, Spider-Man 800 sold like 800,000 units two years ago. People bought them because they were they were centennials, they were anniversaries, but there's no collectability there in regards to scarcity. They're 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 gonna you know everybody's got them. So most books aren't gonna give you a million copies at a shot anymore because who who wants that? Who wants to who wants to have a book that everybody else has? I, I kind of agree with you there. Rob is um, – I'm glad you speak Liefeld. Uh, I'm, I appreciate that. Um, he is all about his sales numbers. He always thinks that he's great because of his sales numbers, and he did yeah. do really good sales numbers back in the day. But right. like you said, those sales numbers aren't really a thing anymore. Well, and what happened to all those fans that were buying, you know, ten copies of X Men number one, two of each cover, so they had a reader and a and a and an archive copy. Um, you know, they all they all bailed. They took off once they realized they weren't going to be able to sell their fifteen copies of Superman seventy five and put their kid through college. You know, they were out, and uh, you know that's okay. But th those weren't fans in the traditional sense of I enjoy comics. Those were fans in the sense of, hey, I think this is going to be worth something someday. You you keep naming books that I have on my wall. <laughs> They're all books I've got on my wall too. I'm with you. <laughs> you know what blew my mind though was um, the the gold copy of uh, Spider Man number one in the bag. That one actually goes for some money today, and that that blew my mind because I I at one point I, I think I had like maybe forty copies of it, and now they're worth like three hundred dollars a piece, and I'm kicking myself. You said the gold. Yeah, the gold bagged edition. Um, Damn it! I have the silver one. Right on. <laughs> well, look at the uh, look at the first appearance of Deadpool. You know, uh, if we're speaking of Liefeld, uh, first appearance of Deadpool is you know a couple hundred dollar book, but at this point, who's? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, there was a point where that book was dollar bin fodder all day. Hell, it was it was quarter bin fodder. 
Um, nobody cared about it. It was it was a trash book. And, uh, you know, now it's, a, you know, 300 bucks in, in a high grade or, you know, particularly if I think of it's a newsstand, I think the newsstand stands out more. Um, but that's an inflated price that really shouldn't be there because there are so, so many of them. Mm hmm. I you agree know. with you there. Like you have, you have 98, um, new mutants. 98 is the book you're referencing right. and it's like 350, you know, in good condition, you know, mm -hmm. just, um, and like all the rest of the, that run of the life books, I understand it's Deadpool's first appearance, but like all lot of the rest of Rob Liefeld's work in that run is like dollar bin stuff. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I have that run. Um, I've found most of it in dollar bins. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I've been piecing it together in the last few years. The vast majority of New Mutants, really easy to come by. There's a few, you know, exceptions. 100's a little tougher. Uh, uh, that first Deadpool, the first Cable, uh, was at 87 or something like that. 87, uh, yep. And then, uh, you know, you have your – when Legion came out, those first appearance of Legion issues uh, were, a little, were a little pricier, but they've come down a bit too. I don't, I don't think it's um... – now that I think of it, I don't think that it's because of Liefeld. I think it's because of the popularity that Deadpool has gotten over, you know, right. the past five years. Because there's other issues like Wolverine. I'm looking now. I have a I have a bunch of Rob Liefeld books just over there. Um, like Wolverine 154 and 155, they're like really expensive books for like what they are. I mean, they're like thirty, fifty dollars a piece, mm. like issues, and that's really weird when it comes to Rob. I think you're right. It's just the popularity of the character of Deadpool. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Nobody's saying that, man, wasn't I gotta Rob. Get... that wasn't Rob. That was the right. um, that was the movies and other writers yeah. that popularized, you know, Deadpool. It wasn't him. I mean, right. they made him. They made Deadpool original. You know, at least more so original. He was a co-creator. I said this last time. Yes. And, yes. I don't know though. Do you guys think that, uh, that that bringing back the speculators market is is really a bad thing though? Um, I I don't think it is. I I know the the popular wisdom is that oh my god it's it's a terrible idea. But man, you know just once I I would like to see a major book sell 10 million copies just so we could go to Ethan Van Skyver and say suck it dude. <laughs> you know is that, is that terrible? No, I realize how selfish that is and that you know if comics did sell 10 million copies that. Uh, Ethan Van Skyver, along with everybody else, would benefit like uh, on their backside for that. But um, man, yeah, it would still be great. So, so I'm pretty sure that the speculator market is back. Oh, by far, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, there was a um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was like a month or two ago. It's recently, but there was um one of the death metal tie-ins, Dark Knights, Dark Death Metal, Dark Dungeon of the Dark Knights. I think it was. It was a one shot. But, like, the day it came out, it was, like, going for, like, $50, $60 on, like, eBay. Right. And, and, like, nobody, like, people were on Twitter and, like, nobody could find this book. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, um, uh, the Batman Who Laughs, they did uh, that four-issue miniseries nobody was buying. He appears in issue three with, I think, with Punchline. And all of a sudden, that book's a $120 book because nobody was buying it. Shops were ordering like three copies, you know. Um, and uh, that big book blew up. Uh, uh, Eva, you know you know Aaron Myers on on uh, Twitter, I'm sure, right? I do. I, I know love Aaron, yeah. 
Aaron's great. Uh, Aaron got that first appearance of Punchline, which was at Batman 89 or something like that. Um, and he got one that the uh, I have I actually have a print uh, a background in printing. Uh, what what happened was they cleaned the, the press and uh, they didn't clean it properly and it washed out all the color on the page. And I think he sold that book for like 800 bucks. <laughs> wow, you were, you were kidding, really? Oh yeah, yeah, it was big. It was big money. Ninety two was that? Was that what you were saying? Ninety two. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. Punchline right here. It's right behind me. That's why I had to say it. It's right here. Marvel misprints are fun. I got this one book. It was uh, it was that one where Spider Man fights Magneto. This was when it came out in the nineties, and um, uh, I got I got a printing error on the cover where. Uh, it was almost like two covers, but like you could see they cut it wrong. And I, I took it to my comic store, and uh, at the time, I think it was forty bucks for it on the spot. And uh, I can't, I can't find it anymore. That that particular right. misprint is was really, really weird and really, really rare. I have a, I have a misprint in a current. I believe it was last summer during Absolute Carnage. Um, there was a, I think it was the Immortal Hulk one shot for Absolute Carnage, the, the event, and, um, like, two or three of the pages, like, in the middle of the book are, like, faded. Oh. I don't know. Nice. I don't know if that's a misprint, but, like, none, I couldn't find any, like, other books like that. Probably counts as a unofficial misprint, or, or counts as a misprint, who knows, um, whether or not anybody lists it that way, you know, a lot of times these misprints happen, and, you know, what, where's the collected data go for misprints? Who's who's databasing every type of misprint out there? So you're kind of just lucky to find them. Like one of the one of the in my experience, one of the rarest misprints to find or, or misproductions is the double cover. And, uh, you know, my collection is just shy of twenty three thousand books at this point. And uh, yeah, and I've been doing it a while. And uh, I have two double covers in my entire collection, you know, so they're out there. People know that they happen. Uh, but both of them, I think the oldest One's Conan thirty, Conan the Barbarian thirty three, and the other one is the Weird Number Two. So books that nobody on Earth actually cares about, you know. <laughs> it's still cool though. I, it's I, cool. I like the coolness of those misprints. Oh yeah, it's cool. I like it because that interior cover is like perfect. You know, the exterior can get trash. It doesn't really even matter. You still got another cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh for sure. So. so um... Um... If you don't mind me asking, what is the uh, the fascination? Uh, what is your fascination? Because you talked you talked about this on the other uh, on, on your other show last week, hmm. and uh, I was wondering what uh, what the fascination with uh, with Miracle Man is uh, for you. Because I was reading up on it. This is not a character I know a lot about, um, hmm. and it's it's just fascinating that um, it wasn't. It's not actually creative decisions that created Miracle Man, but in fact the uh, the IP history of the character, and I, I found that fascinating. Um, what did you like about it? Well, that is that is a bit of it. I'm I'm a I'm not just a comic fan. I also love comic history, uh, all the way back to the pulp heroes uh, of the uh, 20s and 30s. And uh, you know, I I've been a big Alan Moore fan. Well, honestly, since I was uh, since probably 1984, uh, there was a a local convenience store that my mom would take me into every time we visit my grandparents. And uh, she'd always buy me a couple of comics. And she was buying me Swamp Thing as it was coming out from Alan Moore. Now, if you've ever read that Swamp Thing run, probably not something to get a seven-year-old kid. <laughs> 
No, but it was a fantastic run. It really was. They oh, did, yeah. Yeah, they redid the whole character. Absolutely. Fantastic. And, you know, when some of those horror bits stuck with me all the way until I was an adult and uh, going out hunting for comics to replace from my, my childhood that got destroyed one way or another. You know, so I, I've, been a, I've been a more fan for a very long time. When I, when I came across Miracle Man, I remember the first time I heard about Miracle Man, I read in a wizard magazine. It was like top 10 moments in comics. And it was like number seven was uh, issue 15. Uh, the number seven moment it was issue 15 where uh, Kid Miracle Man, was a young Miracle Man, Kid Miracle Man, Kid Miracle Man, um, goes out and uh, murders all of London. Um, and for, the, for for those of you who aren't a f- familiar with Miracle Man uh, or the, the family of characters, imagine if uh, it was Captain Marvel and the Captain Marvel family of the uh, Silver Age, uh, just as different characters. So you had a, a Miracle Man, a kid Miracle Man, and a young Miracle Man. Uh, no Mary in this one. Uh, this was a this was a, a boys only apparently. Didn't she get involved later though, towards towards the end? There like, was uh, yes yes, but she was she was not something that they really. So when it first started, here's here's the quick here's a very very fast history of Miracle Man. Sounds like Eva did some some reading up on it, but the the character itself is is it's fascinating what happened. So you know it's long been known that Captain Marvel was essentially a a close enough to make DC uncomfortable rip off of Superman. He wasn't, but there were too many similarities. They sued Fawcett. Um, Fawcett ended up winning, but it bankrupted him, uh, and they were forced to sell the IP to DC anyway. In the UK, a company had the rights to reprint the Captain Marvel stories. It was a guy by the name of Mick Anglo who worked there. And all of a sudden, just it was like a faucet got turned <laughs> a faucet got turned off, uh, and there was no more Captain Marvel stories coming. So the publisher goes to Mick Anglo, who's a staff writer, and says, I need you to make me something so we have something to print next week. Um, and he came up with the Miracle Man family. Miracle Man was very much a regular Silver Age character, went defunct when the company went under. Uh, Dev Skin, who's a, who's a guy from uh, the UK, uh, Dez, Dez Skin, a uh, guy from the UK. He had a couple of comic shops. He did this underground magazine called uh, Warrior. And uh, this is back when all the, the greats, great UK creators of today were just getting started and uh, he approached Alan Moore about doing this and Alan was still very new. He had done a couple of couple of backups uh, in, in 2000 AD and that was really it. And he got to reinvent Miracle Man. This is the first deconstructionist story uh, in comics, really. So my fascination began with the character when I found out about you know, started getting some of this history. And when you start peeling back the layers of all these things that happened, you know, Mick Anglo, the, the creator of Miracle Man, uh, is, is, is a very similar story to most creators of the Silver Age, uh, ended up destitute and broke, living basically in a hovel. And uh, because uh, Mick Anglo was living in a hovel is the reason that Marvel was able to reprint Miracle Man because uh, Neil Gaiman went to Alan and said, uh, Listen, I know you don't want to deal with the big two, but, you know, uh, they said they'll give all the money to Mick. And Alan said, do it. Just keep my name off it. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got it back. Nice. <laughs> well, uh-huh. well, but there's, there was also that other big thing uh, in the 90s, if anybody remembers, mm-hmm. where uh, Eclipse uh, thought they bought the rights to Miracle Man, but they didn't. Uh, and then Todd McFarlane bought the rights to all the Eclipse stuff, and he was going to reprint Miracle Man and put it into the Spawniverse. Yep. And... Um, 
<laughs> but then it turns out that there was some weirdness going on with the copyright law in the UK mm-hmm. and that the rights were never sold in the first place. It was just like the first printing or whatever. And right. uh, so then Marvel bought the rights and that sort of put Todd McFarlane's evil sinister plan uh, on hold. And uh, oh. that's how we get to where Miracle Man is now. McFarlane actually went and bought those in order to have something to hold over Neil Gaiman's head in his copyright dispute over Angela. Oh, no kidding. Yes, that's what that is. That I did not know. Yeah. I am not a big fan of Todd McFarlane for that exact reason. It's it was it was it was it was it was slimy. It was a slimy thing to do. Uh and um he bought it just to hold that over his head and it was something like fifty thousand dollars. He bought the entire all the IP rates that Eclipse owned. The problem is that Eclipse at best had 50% of the characters. The other 50% was owned by the creators. So, you know, they, they had a very difficult time for them to do anything. But as Eva pointed out, the, the real controversy here is Des Skin, who originally approached Alan Moore to write these stories, he told Alan he had permission to use the character and he didn't. So the very first Warrior Magazine stories from Alan Moore were totally unauthorized in every way, shape, and form. Oh, wow. Yeah. They have this groundbreaking comic that is itself an act of piracy. That is beautiful. Really? Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Aaron, it looks like you want to laugh. <laughs> Crystal keeps looking at me. <laughs> How do you know I'm looking at you? I'm looking at the camera. I, I'm looking at both of you. I'm just, I'm just sitting here. I'm I know you guys can see what I'm doing. So, like, I don't, like, when it's story time, I just don't want to, like, you know... Oh, same. <laughs> I, I want to act like I'm actually listening because I am, but like you know, you don't have to like half the time when I'm listening to people talk or like listening in a podcast or whatever. I'm just kind of like passed out or like laying on a couch or like you know what oh. I mean. Yeah. You're just chilling to it and vibing to it. That's an yeah, interesting that's story. I didn't that's hear that though. Now. Yeah, that was that. I never heard about that before. I'm, yeah, I'm, I don't. I, I'm not the um the comic person necessarily on this this group but i do enjoy it the best part of the story though is the way that one ended because neil gaiman actually did get his copyright back he sure did that's good sure that's why we saw angela in the marvel universe that's even better because she is the leader of the asgardians of the galaxy currently or the last i've seen her which is one of my favorite series um of the past like two years i mean it's not like great great but it's fun and you know it's a fun twist on you know the guardians of the galaxy you know putting together a bunch of as guardians and calling it the as guardians of the galaxy it's a good pun for sure it's a dad joke though and cullen bunn writes it you know um cullen bunn i first found out about his writing through um he did a lot of deadpool stuff like deadpool kills the marvel universe and um Deadpool versus Thanos. I'm trying to look to see which ones I have over here. It was a bunch of Deadpool stuff. So I saw he was doing Asgardians of the Galaxy, and I really like Angela, and she was the leader of that group. So I like immediately picked that up. I am a I am a big fan of Colin uh, Colin Bunn myself. I uh, I really enjoy his Aftershock stuff. Um, which actually I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Diamond actually has a, a a collected edition coming out calling like the greatest works of or something like that. Um, from Aftershock, which is all Colin Bunn, like first issues. That's cool. That's cool. I like him. He's a he's a really good writer. Um, yeah. I have a lot of his books. <laughs> yeah, really good stuff. I just read something from him called Unholy Grail, 
which is uh, it starts off with uh, the last of um, the last night of Camelot returning after Camelot has fallen and he goes into the great hall and the, and the table is shattered and uh, he's brought the, uh, the, the grail or he thinks he's brought the grail back to Camelot. Um, and it shows that uh, the, the man we knew as Merlin was uh, maybe not actually human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's first issue was a sure. lot packed into it. Ooh, I like that. I like when first issues are thick. Oh yeah. Um. So what? <laughs> I like it when the first issue is real thick. Let me tell you. That's the intro right there. There's the intro line. I just did it. You guys always want my intro. There you go. You want me to do it again? I think this week we're. I think this week we were gonna go with somebody else's intro. Honestly. That's an intro. Listen, I'm telling you right now, you can't pass that up. Yeah, you can't. It was organic. It it fits. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, when okay. when somebody gives you gold, like I like it when the first issue is really thick. You take. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but okay. So like yeah. last week, she, she she comes to us and she's like, you know, hey, why are you guys using me every week? Do you hate me or something? And I was I felt really bad about it. <laughs> I'm funny, I guess. I don't know. You are. You're hilarious and you're awesome and we love you. So yeah. I wanted to change things around and ask you all what you've been reading this week. I actually Sweet. have something new. I have something new, and I am currently reading um, Gail Simone's Red Sonia. Oh. Yeah, I uh, I decided, because I don't know why I didn't think about this sooner, that I could get a digital library card from the Los Angeles Public Library and use Hoopla to start reading comics for free, nice. which is an awesome way. The app is a little slow, but I can still use it. Um, yeah, and I, I just was like, I need to read some of Gail's work because I really hadn't, and I love her, and I love her on Twitter. She's awesome. And, and I just I realized that, that that's been a blind spot, so I was like, well, Red Sonia seems like a pretty like succinct run, and it mm. was easy to find, so I was like, that could be something I read. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so far I've been like, digging yeah. it. Were you like familiar with the uh, the Red Sonia before Gail Simone got a hold of a character? Just a name, like, uh, not in any any like tangible, you know, media. Because Gail made some really really cool red cons. She really turned Red Sonia into sort of a feminist icon, mm-hmm. which uh, which I thought was neat, but that didn't exist before. That's pretty cool. But by was it written by before? Oh, nice. Uh, Aaron holding <laughs> up a pop figure. Very cool. Yeah. Hey, Aaron's uh, Funko Pop collection is awesome. It is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I have so many. I have almost an entire room dedicated to it, but it's not the room that I'm sitting in. So eventually I'll take a picture and show you how much I have, because I actually have quite a lot. Would you you believe that I don't own any of them? Like, even one? You should get one of the character you like. No, that's how it starts. That's how it starts. (laughs) You can't just get one. Yeah, my first ever pop, somebody gave me a, a, a spider Gwen pop, okay? I, I forget who it was. Um, but I got a, I got the spider Gwen pop because it was, like, the character I was reading. Um, I was just getting back into comics at the time. It was, like, 2017. And um, it was shortly after my transition. And um, I really wanted, like, a strong female character to read. And I picked up the Jason Latour's run on spider Gwen. And mm-hmm. it, like, 
quickly became like my favorite thing ever and that's all I read. I've read I've read that run like three or four times since I've gotten it. But um yeah, I since have like four other Spider Gwen pops. I have the Silk Pop, I have um ah, what was it? The Captain America from Gwen's universe, Earth sixty five. It was a, a she, I forget her name. But she was like a she was like a black she was like a black female nurse during like World War Two. And they like oh, yeah. They like gave her. She somehow got this this super soldier serum. I forget how, but she became Captain America. And like, I really love that. That like, I don't know. I just really loved her universe, like her Earth. That's pretty cool. I I loved the the story where uh, Peter Parker became the lizard. Yeah, yeah. That was so good. It was it was just so charming and so enthralling, and it was so backwards and weird. And I mean, you know, seeing. The, the characters one way and then they just sort of skewed it in, in uh, Spider-Gwen's universe and gave you something entirely different but uh, they were sort of able to capture the same feeling uh, of the, the original which I really liked I like um I like the Kingpin in her universe it's actually Matthew Murdock and he's oh. he's so sinister too like it works so well I don't know how they do it but they made him <laughs> the Kingpin and I love that choice I, it's always fun when they play around with perceived characters and stuff of what you think you know about something and just completely change it. Oh, sorry. I, I, we'll, we'll get out to that after. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, it's okay. I still love you, Crystal. I do. Okay, so this I week I did something uh, really interesting. I, um, somebody told me about this this book called uh, Dreadnought, and uh, it's about a trans superhero. Uh, and I read it. I read both of them, actually. Uh, there's there's two books. And um, it is really interesting. It is such a good story. Uh, it just sort of captures the, the trans experience really well. And uh, it exists in this universe where superheroes are pretty common. And uh, the, the villain is, is uh, an evil witch who happens to be a turf uh, the whole way through. Uh, <laughs> And uh, oh, it was it was great, and uh, I, I felt like a lot of uh, just sort of a lot of personal connection. It really jived with my experience, and I think I, I don't know this for sure, uh, but I suspect that that Crystal's going to jive with this one too because it is an amazing uh, set of books. Uh, the second one is is a lot more. The first one's really sort of about um, how she she gets her powers and her her new body and comes out. Uh, she gets this sort of instant transition, but the thing that was really cool about it was how um, she just sort of, you know, still had to deal with all the everyday problems that all trans people have to deal with. And uh, the second one was just nonstop action. So there you go. Erin, uh, what were you going to say? Who is the author of this? Uh, that was... April Daniels? Uh, April Daniels, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I was just looking on my on my app about it because they have it on the same service. Yeah. yeah. Oh is. my god, it was so good. Yeah, I got Dread this on my I got this on my Amazon thing now. Is it a graphic it's novel or is it a book? It's it's a book it's a book. book. It's it's like an actual um, you know book with like no pictures in it. Um, oh wow. It's outstanding. Oh. It is captivating. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah, I know. But I, but I did it on uh, an Audible. So, like, uh, you know, you actually sit there and have it, you know, read to you at, at you know, 
ridiculous speeds because that's what I like with my audiobooks. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was captivating, especially just especially for me, just because of my background. I, I felt like I really uh, jived with the character. I felt like. Like, April Daniels just really gets me, which was awesome. I'm probably going to love it. Yeah, that seems really good. Have, have you, any of you ever heard of Alters from Aftershock? No. I have, but I, I have not read it yet. Oh, my God. There's so many Aftershock comics I need to get. There's really good stuff. I've been reading Dead Day. I think that's on Aftershock, isn't it? Yep. yep. Yeah, Dead Day. That's the one I picked that's up. Been um, yep. I've, been, I've been enjoying that one. Ryan oh. Parat, I think his name is. Yes, I think you're correct on that. Yes, he just recently followed me on Twitter. Oh, nice. He's pretty cool. I, I like him. Oh, man, zombie. It's, it's just a new twist on zombies. I love it. Right. Right, and it's it's not – it doesn't feel, you know, it doesn't feel like the same old. Yeah, it feels new. You know, it's refreshing. It is. It is. Um, Alters is a uh, – is a, you know, just to let you know, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done. Um, Alters is a uh, another aftershock book, um, and uh, the creative team um, w- was very diverse. Uh, you know, different genders, uh, backgrounds, orient- sexual orientations, uh, different gender identities. I mean, the whole the whole creative team was very diverse. Battery is twenty percent. And uh, she was uh, sorry, a, a major superhero, uh, and she was trans, and. Uh, <laughs> The, the series is handled really, really well. Um, uh, I say that as somebody who has not experienced it, so I, you know, I can't, I can't say if the, if the experience is accurate, but it seems to me that it was, it was handled really well, done, done really good. Uh, art's, art's really great. There's only 10 issues, uh, came oh, out a couple easy. years ago. Yeah, not, not bad. Let me see if I can, I'll see if I can read that on, I've, on the app I have. I've been in. <laughs> <laughs> I've been enjoying a lot of Aftershock stuff. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I've got when Aftershock started coming out with all our new stuff. I think um, mm-hmm. a couple months ago, my um, it was like during the pandemic, like during mm-hmm. like lockdown, quarantine, and my um, LCS was closed. But mm-hmm. he made sure to send me like all the number one issues. He he was like, oh, I nice. think you might like this one. I think you might like this one. You know, <laughs> in, just in hopes that I'd subscribe to him. And um, I subscribed to Dead Day. Dead Day really stuck out to me. Yeah. Well, John Lehman just did one. The man who effed up time. I absolutely loved that. Um, Jimmy's Bastards was another one that I loved from him. That's uh, uh, Garth uh, Garth Ennis book. Um, Garth Ennis could write the instructions to a can of corn and I'd read it. But uh, (laughs) uh, probably probably my favorite out of their run, though, is Animosity. I don't know if you ever heard of that one. This is this is I'll tell you right now. This is probably the one of the best books uh, on the stands today. Um, I am I am a, 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 a I love animals. I absolutely love animals. Uh, my wife even more so than I. Uh, she she I, we joke that she will she will die from being bit by something she shouldn't have snuggled um, <laughs> in the in the wild. Uh, uh, nice. But uh, animosity is a story where uh, the the awakening happens, and the awakening is every animal on Earth suddenly is advanced in intelligence to human level, gains the power of speech, reasoning, 
Um, and uh, they remember all the horrible shit we've done to them. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I, I just I just cussed on you on your on your show. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. You can fucking cuss. Basically, basically, imagine uh, the story revolves around um, a little girl and her dog who wants to protect her in this new dangerous world. The animals instantly start to fight back. They actually start building their own armies. Uh, there's a cover that just <laughs> every time I see it, it makes me laugh. Although it's handled very seriously. Of, uh, of a great big old buck walking along with uh, hand grenades dangling off his antlers and a raccoon sits on his back and pulls the pins and throws them at humans who come and attack them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I cannot say, say enough about it. I highly recommend that book. Uh, Marguerite Bennett is the author. Uh, very talented. It, that one's been out for a while though, hasn't it? Yeah, like four years. Listen, I just see a turtle with, like, a grenade launcher on his back. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's beautiful. I er, er, <laughs> early in the uh, early in Fables, very early on, I think the second story arc, they take you up to the farm. And, the, and if you're not familiar with Fables by Bill Willingham, uh, Fables, uh, they're, they're the imaginary creatures uh, throughout all the imaginary stories. You had the human-looking ones living in New York, and then you had the animal-looking ones living in a farm in upstate New York. And... Uh, they they go through a revolution at one point where they're like modifying guns and stuff so that they can like you know the animals can use them and that was like two three issues maybe four issues long of a story arc. Uh, this is like at 28 issues of <laughs> animals with guns and bazookas and you know driving that's, tanks and shit. You know, it's... <laughs> that is literally the reason why I love comics because you get stuff like that. Hell yes. How um how is Fables by the way? Random. Random question, but I haven't read much. I haven't. I've been wanting to read more because I played the, uh, the Wolf Among Us, the yeah. game that was the adaptation of that, and I really? I, I, I loved it. I absolutely mm-hmm. loved the Wolf Among Us. Um, how's Fables in comparison to that? I mean, I mean it's the same thing, but you know what I mean. Hmm. Um, is, it, is it a good is it a good read or is it like too much at this point? No, it's absolutely a fantastic read. Highly recommend. Um. You know, you, 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 it's a journey. It's 150 issues. Uh, I think they had four, five, maybe six spinoffs from a couple of Cinderella series. You had uh, Fairest, which all has covers from Adam Hughes. So, you know, those are, those are hot books. Um, but uh, it's fantastic series. Now, listen, it, the reality of the situation is Bill Willingham is very hard right. And you will see right wing politics in there. Notice the chuds don't scream about that one. Um Everywhere. That was my feeling, was that uh, I did not like uh, Okay, my, my thought with Fables was I, I thought I was going to go into it and like it, and then, you know, 10 issues in, I'm like, okay, whatever. And uh, I got I finally got through that, and my, my, my final thought on it is I don't hate it as much as I, I thought I would there for a minute, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I, I went into the the game adaptation the wolf among us completely blind i don't know if you're familiar with it but it's basically like it's like the other telltale adventure games where it's um you play as bigby um if you remember the character obviously but um Mm -hmm. and you it's like a choose your own sort of narrative where you get to choose the dialogue option and certain scenes and characters react in certain ways to how you play like you can play him as completely as much of a jerk as you want to, or you can play him as sympathetic and certain characters live or die based on those choices. And I was enthralled, but I didn't, I didn't know he was right leaning, but the, but the, I thought the, 
If nothing else, I thought the game was awesome. If you want to check it out, <laughs> I played the first chapter. I don't think I ever actually bought the game, but I played the first chapter. Yeah. Um. You know, I I have always been. You know, we we end up fighting, and and uh, you know, Crystal and Eva, uh, Aaron. I'm sure you've dealt with this yourself. But Crystal and Eva, I think we we found each other fighting. Uh, Comics Gate. I know I I found yeah. the two of them yeah. fighting Comics Gate. Yeah, that's uh, sorry. true. Sorry, they who shall not be named, and um, <laughs> uh, they even have their own Voldemort. Um, and uh, uh, not not to bring that up, but um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's okay. I, I actually mentioned him by name earlier. So you, you I I know. I was gonna say if you say it one more time, he appears. You know that, right? Like he just you shows like up. Like right. Like yeah. right? Yeah. Figgy Smalls. Or like Candyman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Candyman. But, yeah. Like all of those things, except somehow worse and smelling more like cheese. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, cheese in the lack of bathing. Yeah. Yeah. You sure you're not talking about Goat Man? <laughs> well, I mean, not far. Um, he he's like a he's like a, a shitty Willy Wonka. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know how Willy Wonka could be shitty. <laughs> As long as you agree with me, that's that's the thing, you know. Right. Uh, he hates he hates democracy. He hates uh, people. He hates his fans. And then he comes out with, oh yeah, but comics need to be for everybody, which is just such bullshit. Right. Uh, my goodness. Right. You know, you're well, a man. I have known you forever, for years. Yeah. Um, I think we first met after. Uh, Milkshake, even before I transitioned, and yeah. Um, yeah, it has been a long time. What was that? <laughs> I heard milkshake, and I just uh, <laughs> it was hot, whatever it was. I recently got my milkshake. I I'm looking at my phone. I look up. I see titties getting shaked. I'm uh. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it is when you roll with me. It's just it's just <laughs> part guys, of the norm. The, we have a group chat. We have a group chat, us three, me, Crystal, and Eva, and I don't know how many pictures of my tits I've sent that group chat. <laughs> I, I don't know. I lost track. Oh, dear God. I'm like, here, look at my boobs. Look at my boobs. We said they're Okay. You said they're new, right? Yeah. Every, every woman I know who gets new boobs shows them, so that's, you know, totally normal. Totally okay, normal. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> my my best friend's wife. She was like, "Look, I just got them and just pulled them right out." It was it was <laughs> it was, and it wouldn't have been a big deal if we weren't in the middle of church. But you know, I mean, <laughs> uh, um, uh, wow, I'm totally lost. What we were talking about. <laughs> That's me for you. I, I, I don't know. I, I, boobs, boobs, I boobs. Love, I love second boobs. Boobs. <laughs> Very boobs easy to distract me. I, Shake some titties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boobs are awesome. And yeah, I'm one of Jake you're, to accept. Yeah. You're not. You're not alone in getting distracted easily. <laughs> congratulations, Aaron, by the way, on your boobs. Uh, very congratulations on those. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Woo! Sorry, what were you guys talking about? No, sorry. This is this is a this is an audio podcast. Where we're talking about something very visual. Well, the, the people listening can can uh, just be reassured that uh, Aaron's boobs are, are lovely and and we adore them. Thank you. I I want to take this time with Silas to shout out one of our um, listeners. Um, 
on Twitter at done randomly. She just messaged me and asked when we're, our next episode was going to come out. And, um, like we're recording it right now. So I figured I'd shout her out since she asked me. Oh, that's awesome. Done randomly is, is pretty cool. I think I know who you're talking about. I, uh, I did want to make mention earlier. You were, you were talking about red Sonia yes. and, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever read any of the original red Sonia stuff. No, I'm, I, like I said, this is my first anything. Red gotcha. Sonia. I just saw Gail's name and I was like, sure. Bye. So, so I've been a big fan of uh, of Gail Simone for a long time, and uh, well, hello there. And uh, um, first of all, if you like Gail, I highly, re- Jesus, I highly recommend uh, Secret Six uh, from DC, fan- fantastic series. Um, uh, you know, she she creates she created a a series of uh, that had all these characters that were. To call them B-list would be kind. They were C-list and D-list characters: Catman, Ragdoll, uh, <laughs> a random parademon. Um, nice. And there's a lot of great representation uh, in the book. There's a there's a lesbian relationship. Uh, there's uh, an ace relationship. In fact, I think they, they she very heavily implies that Catman and Deadshot have a bisexual relationship together because Deadshot's in it. What? Uh, yes. Deadshot? Yes, Floyd Lawton. Floyd Lawton is my yes. favorite character. Fucking love him. One of my favorites. He's like um, top three. Floyd Lawton. Um. So and I and it's I think it's Secret Six Volume Two or Three. There was there was an original Secret Six which was like spies that had cybernetic shit put on them. Ignore that one. The the one with the super villains is the one you want. And it started in Villains United, which was a Infinite Crisis series. I think Infinite Crisis series and uh, spun out from there. It was it, it hands down to this day is in my mind the best DC series of that decade. But long before getting back to Red Sonia, uh, long before uh, Gail worked on it, when Red Sonia was still mm-hmm. coming out from Marvel books, there was a an artist named Frank Thorne who who worked on Red Sonia. If you see any of the old Marvel feature covers, you'll see his art style. She's got very full pouty lips, very. She's she's more curvy than she even is in the current uh, the current run of stuff. Right. Um, and uh, Frank Thorne eventually stopped writing Red Sonia <laughs> or stopped writing Red Sonia and went on and created his own version kind of of Red Sonia. Okay. Uh, which if you're ever looking for and and I'm you know maybe you don't like this but if you're ever looking for Red Sonia but erotic. <laughs> Uh, this is the series you want to look for, <laughs> right? Uh, when, hun? Uh, but uh, it was called Gita, uh, Gita of Alazar, uh, G H I T A. Uh, Fanographics did it. I think Hermes Press just did a, a reprint. And um, please don't die. And um, uh, I, I, you know, honestly, uh, you know, I, I've got a, a couple long boxes of erotic books. No problem with those, but uh, it's also beautifully drawn, and it's a it's it's an adventure in a fantasy world, just like Red Sonja. Nice. I will yes. I will definitely look at said books. It's a miracle, man. I I'm, think just in general, nobody here has a problem with erotic books. Just just in I general. Know, it's, uh, we're all we, we talk here. about it every episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You two are terrible. Jesus. Wow. I've been in 47 adult feature films, so I'm okay with erotica comics. You've been in what? (laughs) What? (laughs) 47? You you could have done like... You can cut that out, Eva. (laughs) 
<laughs> you absolutely should not cut that out. <laughs> no, I don't think I will. <laughs> you know, you should have done um twenty-two more. Twenty-two more? Why? Just add yeah, that. Sixty-nine. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I got my camera. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you said forty-seven, and I was thinking Kevin Smith. What? Forty-seven. Kevin Except Smith. it was thirty-seven. It was thirty-seven. It was thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. You, you look at me and you you think of Kevin Smith. I oh, trust me. Know. When I look at you, I'm not thinking of Kevin Smith, especially after the titty shake. <laughs> Speaking of Kevin Smith, um, since we brought him up, what's your favorite Kevin Smith movie? I'll go for a small rat. Nice, good choice. Um, I guess I'll I'll say I think my favorite Smith movie is probably uh probably like Clerks or Clerks Two. One of the Kirk's films. One of those two. I like. Could, could I be a, a contrarian and say that I thought his uh, his just run on Daredevil was just fucking amazing? Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting that. Thank you. Somebody yeah, did not. Really, yeah, he also did a, a Green Hornet run that was the best in 20 years, at least since the Now yes. series. Um, he is a fantastic writer. Hey, hey, the fat man sometimes, you know, comes in clutch. He um he has a he has a spotty track record overall, but he's I still think he's really funny and talented. I I I just I don't I don't really go out though for his uh horror, you know, Mm. like Tusk or um Red State. I didn't see Red State, but I just they just didn't appeal to me, you know. Like I finally saw a new Kevin Smith film. In, in uh, reboot, Jay and Silent Bob reboot, or Gary. Did, did you see it or no? I and I wish I, I did. Really? I we, I love it. It's so good. <laughs> it was funny. Oh man. I mean, like I hate it. Go back and... going up against himself. Oh yeah. I don't know. It was fun. It was a nice tribute for the whole Askew universe, I should say. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, it. but I loved all the references and I the re- cameos. I don't remember much, but I do remember um, Ben Affleck's like monologue. Right. I thought I thought that was really cute when he was just sitting there talking. Yeah, it was really nice. It was very sweet. I don't <laughs> want to spoil it, so I don't really want to like give the bit away. No, I'm just saying it, it does a good job of tying up his his view of universe in some way. I personally you know. didn't. Okay, everyone has their own thing. Not everyone's perfect. I, I, like I want to see the uh, the Blunt Man and Crumpton Chronic comic come out. I, I I really want to see that now more than anything. I uh I got to meet him last year, and uh, surprisingly he was as I mean like not surprisingly but it was just nice to know that he was as sweet in person as you you think he is. You know. Yeah. I mean as this was before COVID, but he was hu- hugging everybody. <laughs> he's a huggy kind of guy. Yeah, he's adorable. I um I really enjoyed the comic book men uh, TV show. Me too. I, I really that was one of my favorite TV shows. You know, it starts off really cheesy, but you know, it gets really wholesome really fast. I um I've met and talked with the comic book men guys at different conventions and stuff. They're very nice to talk to. I actually uh, visited Red Bank multiple times uh, long before the show came out, um and and went to the secret stash. Uh, I only ever met Mike Zapsick. Is his name? I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they for, for a shop that can really rely on the gimmick, number one, they have great pack issue selection. The store is filled with memorabilia. The original the original clerk's uh, script is sitting in there in the display case. He has the blunt man and chronic car and statues in there. Oh, nice. Um, 
whole bunch of stuff. And and I bought everything that you go there. If if Jay or Kevin is involved in it, and I imagine when Walt and and everybody else was was getting deals, the uh, same for them. But anything that they worked on, you would get you could get autograph for the exact same price. Uh, they didn't charge you anything for autographs. Oh, that's nice. Uh, you know, so that was pretty cool. If I make it out there ever, I'll definitely right. visit. Crystal, worth it. come visit me. I live like an hour away from Red Bank. <laughs> I want to visit there. I just. It's we're just in the middle of a pandemic and I have no money. <laughs> twenty twenty has been absolutely horrendous. It has. Twenty twenty is a shit show of a year. But it did bring us one good thing: the show. That's true. Yeah. That's yeah. true. We met her and, and we had to do a podcast because I've, she she was too awesome. I've been <laughs> high for eight months. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the only way that you can really make it through this saying. Send it's help. <laughs> I accidentally got high earlier. My uh, my neighbor was smoking pot in her hallway, and I walked right into it. And I sort of got a, the contact buzz from hell for like two hours. Okay. Mm. My house, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got some brownies being made right now downstairs. And I, that's all I could smell was like the resin. That smells, that sounds amazing. You doing it with butter? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right on. Right on. Right way. Right way. I'm not going to give anything up, but I will say this. I do know somebody who makes some damn fine butter. And uh, we had caramels. If you ever want to get ripped, make caramels. Because caramels is essentially butter and sugar. <laughs> so if you get a good batch of butter, whoo, that caramel stuff can be real good. That sounds so, amazing. So, Mr. Milkman, where are you located <laughs> at in these United of States? So, uh, you know, because uh, because of uh, <laughs> the high-profile enemies I've made, uh, I don't get too detailed, uh, but I live in New York. Um, oh, okay, if, okay. If you live about an hour from Red Bank, uh, you live fairly close to where I grew up. I'm in so, Philly. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask you, Geno's or Pat's? Yeah. <laughs> Neither. I haven't been to either one of those. Since Neither. To oh wow. Oh wow. See, I would say Geno's. Uh, actually, I went to so cheesesteaks. We're talking about cheesesteaks. Uh, we we <laughs> which is you know it's a Philly thing. Uh, I actually I took uh, a friend of mine there after living in New York for a number of years, and we stopped at Geno's. You know, and there's a very specific way you have to order your cheesesteak. And they asked for a Philly cheesesteak, and I literally took a step away from them. I was like, I don't know who the fuck this person is. Wow. <laughs> literally, if you're looking for a good cheesesteak in Philly, um, I used to hang out down in South Street. I used to go to Milkboy down in South Street all the oh, time. Oh, right on. I would get hammered down on South Street, and they would make the best cheesesteak, in my South opinion. It's the best cheesesteak I've found in Philly, and I've had a lot of them in Philly, because I live in Philly. I have not been to South Street since it was really seedy. It's still, last time I was there, I almost got, like, there was a shooting, like, right where I was, okay. like, like 10 right. minutes before I had Ooh. left. <laughs> it, sound, it sounds like it's getting back to the way it used to be there, and uh, that's it's good. <laughs> my, my, my opinion about South Street is, you know, it, it's fine, but just leave before like 11. Nothing good happens <laughs> yeah. there after 11. Yeah, yeah. That sounds right. That sounds right. So, like, if you're from New York, though, have you had the uh, the cheddar stick? The, that thing they have that, that they do in like Harlem and Manhattan and, and all those places? <sighs> no, no, I have not had yeah. that. 
they are delicious and they are cheap. I had one last time I was in the city and oh my God. Uh, it's it's not like a cheesesteak at all. Totally different ingredient set, but it is amazing. Oh, speaking of New York, I only go to New York one time around one time a year, and it's usually around know It's always in October, I should say. During spooky season. Um, no, during Comic Con. Right. Uh, yeah, but it's it's well, yeah. October. It is, yeah, it's it is during season. spooky season, just coincidentally. And I'm really sad that Comic Con's not a thing this year, but you know, I'm. I'm okay with taking a year off. Are they doing uh, virtual or no, not trying that? Because uh, San Diego did the whole um, at home, which was pretty cool. I mean, for what it was. Last year, I broke my bank at Comic-Con. Mm. I got so many well, back issues. That is, that is really easy to do. Oh, yeah. my God. At a con? Yeah, it's easy to spend lots of money. I mean, you can walk in with, with $2,000 in your pocket and just... It's gone by the time so, you're out. So who did I cosplay as? Who did oh. you cosplay as? <laughs> I cosplayed as Silk. You said Silk. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Everybody, I knew there was going to be so many Gwens there, so I was like, you know, I got to do something different. What is? What was the Gwen-Silk ratio to Harley's? I was, I was the only Silk um, that I saw there. When, okay. Well, I was there. I was there two days, and I was the only silk that I saw there. But there were like hundreds of Gwens and hundreds of Harleys. Yeah. Yeah. Harley Harley's is super popular. Super popular, and uh, you know, uh, a great opportunity to uh, show a little something, something sometimes, I, which I have no complaint over. I'm not not complaining. Fun story about Comic Con. First day I was there, I saw this guy. Wait, oh, motorcycle passing. Thanks. Um, I saw this guy, and he was dressed, he was cosplaying as um, Scott Summers, like the perfect, like, the perfect Cyclops. And I just kept following. I did, well, I shouldn't say following. Um, Coincidentally running into him. You were stalking. <laughs> yeah. Every time I saw him, I was like, Scott, what's up, Scott? <laughs> And and I can see the sheer embarrassment <laughs> on this guy's face, okay? And I don't know why. I just kept doing it. And I was happy. I was at Comic-Con. It was the first time I was there, you know, since I transitioned. And I was having fun. And I think I ruined this guy's experience there overall, at least in that room until he had lost me, you know? <laughs> did, did you get a picture with him at least? No. I got a picture with Punisher, though. And then I got a picture with a Captain America that later tried to hook up with me. He, like, started messaging me on Instagram, like, the night after. And he's like, hey, baby, you want to come to my hotel room and shit? <laughs> That's a crossover I'd pay to see. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe mix for porn. Comic-Con's Sorry. always a blast. I've oh, actually man. never gone to any of the big cons. For, uh, almost 40 years of collecting comics, I've 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 never been to any of the big ones. I've only ever gone to the little cons, and uh, you know, I, my my thought is always I can spend that fifty or sixty dollars to get in on a on you know fifty or sixty dollars worth of fifty cent books. True, true. You yeah, know, I mean, like I, you go to Comic Con for the experience, right? You know, it's Absolutely. not necessarily for like getting certain things or whatever. It's to like interact with other people, to see the booths, sometimes get in panels. It's more like for. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> I mean, that's sorry, Crystal. I said boo. 
trampoline. cosplay at Comic Con. How, how many people just like randomly grab your ass as you walk by? Does that happen a lot? Not that I can remember. I don't know. I'm just always. I'm in like a state of like constant like happiness when I'm at Comic Con. So I'm not necessarily paying attention to my surroundings. You know what I mean? I'm just walking around like a like a kid in a candy store. I'm like. Ooh. <laughs> well, like 10, 12 years ago, uh, SDCC did this big push where cosplay is not consent uh, because it was, yeah, a, it was a major problem. I've, yeah, I've seen oh, yeah. those signs around at different conventions now. I remember the scariest thing I, I had to do at Comic-Con was um, I made the mistake of drinking too much coffee. And I had to go to the ladies' room, and I had to stand in the line to the ladies' room for like an hour and a half. And if you're trans and you know what it's like to go into the women's room just on, like, a normal, like, restroom, you know, you, you can imagine the anxiety of standing there with hundreds of, like, cisgendered women and, you know, that feeling of, like, oh, man, it sucked. For an hour and a half, that was, like, the, my worst experience of Comic-Con overall of, like, the two days I go when every, like, when I go. I'm just glad to know. That everything turned out fine, though, in the end, as much as anxiety-filled as that was, I'm sure. I had to pee. Yeah. <laughs> it's important. The worst part about it, it, nothing happened. Everything's fine. I, 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 The anxiety was internal. It was all in my head. And afterward, the worst thing that, like, happened during that whole experience was... Um, I need to help zipping my Zentai suit back up. Have you ever tried to like go to the bathroom when you're wearing a Zentai suit at a con? <laughs> I, I have not personally. You have to get uh, like butt ass naked to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I, I believe it. You know, I hear that complaint about rompers. You know, every time my 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 wife will wear a romper and she'll she'll go out. She'll be like, you know, every time I have to go to the bathroom, I have to like get naked in a in a public restroom, uh, <laughs> which she is not a fan of. I'm sure <laughs> you can imagine. Uh, so I, I, I mean, I, I think I kind of have the idea of what you're talking about. Yeah, Zentai suits are no fun when you got to take them off. Rompers, I don't know much about because I believe I only have one romper and I've never worn it. Rompers is one of those things that, like, it can be super, super cute uh, and it can also be the exact opposite and there's no in between. I think they're cute. I think they're cute on guys. Like I like my Especially. men like and muscular, you know, the typical blockhead, you, you know, like that's my kind of guy. And, you know, if he wears a romper, that is, oh, my God, I love that look. Mm, men in rompers are just, mm. It is good. <laughs> I, will, I will concur on that one. <laughs> that might be another intro right there. We <laughs> <laughs> have so many good moments tonight. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny. You mentioned Blockhead, and this is just a random thought I had, and I don't even know why I'm vocalizing it, but whenever I think of Blockhead, I think of this. Have you seen um, Killer Clowns from Outer Space? The yeah. 1980s? Okay. Oh, hell yeah. I just, I just oh, remember yeah. the clown guy going, what are you going to do, knock my blog off? Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Every it was time a decapitation I Biden, I think of that. <laughs> Because when his face gets all puffy and red, he's like, oh, he looks like he's going to be like, oh, I'm going to knock your block off. <laughs> so speaking of which, I wanted to bring that up. I wanted to touch on that before we end. Has anybody watched the de- – well, did anybody watch the debates? I, I I watched the full hour and a half of the oh. debates. And, um, Is it, was it really a debate, though? I mean, what was actually being debated? All I heard was Joe Biden and Trump in the background saying – Nope, nope, that's wrong. Don't do it. 
Don't do that, flag. They love me. I got football back. Oh, you just lost the left. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, just lost the left, Joe. When, when he said that line, when he said that specific <laughs> line, I wanted to jump through the goddamn television set. I, I just wanted to choke him. I did. I've, I've never been so stoned and so pissed in my life. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was 90 minutes of of a guy trying to talk to you while another guy stood there and screamed, go fuck yourself, over and over <laughs> and over. Hey. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've been in Philly. I'm sure you've heard that a lot. Just walking down the street, somebody screams, hey, go fuck yourself. I hear uh, that all the time coming from just outside. I don't even need to go outside to hear that. My neighbors, my neighbors are always arguing. There was this one guy, he's a White House staffer, and he got on Twitter, and he's like, you know what you saw in the debate? We see that every day in the right. White House. Right. Can you even imagine what that's like? So, what was your favorite moment in the debate? My favorite moment was when Trump proclaimed, do you like me in Ohio? I got football back. I, I liked how Biden kept calling him a clown, told him to shut up at <laughs> one point. That was beautiful. I like when he made fun of Biden, too. He's like, everywhere you go, you see with a big mask. He's stupid. He's always got a mask on. And he's like, <laughs> now, look, now look, you got COVID, dude. Yeah, really. I just- I didn't watch the um, the full debates or anything. I mainly just saw clips via other stuff. But um, I don't know if anything was my favorite per se. But I do, I did like seeing the uh, the moderator going back and forth with Trump because it's just like, really, Mr. President, Mr. Yeah. President, yeah. <laughs> I mean, then you went to Donald. He was like Donald, Donald. <laughs> It's like dealing with like a really rowdy, rowdy five-year-old. It, it was just the thing I have ever seen in my 25 years of living. It was the worst debate that there's ever been. Like literally, they're they're implementing a mute button the next one yep. because this was so bad. If you uh, if you remember in 2016, there was I think it was the third debate, uh, and Trump starts going off the rails, and there was two moderators, and the moderators bring him back in line, and he goes, "Oh great, one on three. and of course. He said the same thing about Chris Wallace working for, you know, state run television for the propaganda network isn't even good enough to be treated with any level of respect by that dumpster fire of a piece of trash human being. He's awesome. Yeah. Friends loves him. Ugh. Yeah, you know, the funny thing about him getting COVID, right? Everybody's like, well, you know, we really should be polite. You know, he's still, you know, another human being and whatever, but. You know, I think the thing that people miss, you know, when, when they say stuff like that is it's really hard to, to, to be nice and be sympathetic to somebody who's been holding a gun to your head in terms of policy uh, ever since he's been elected. Yeah. And, you know, I, so, so like you get in, involved with or he, you, you get a situation where he comes down with COVID and my inner Jew that wants to celebrate, you know, karmic justice for tyrants and evil people gets out and wants to cheer you know and i I can't help that that's part of my culture it's where i come from (laughs) but but but, um, yeah i mean that's that's what i want to do i'm I'm with you there i'm i'm with you there uh Aaron, you have something to say, or? Uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys see my tweet the other day, but I actually when i when i saw that the president had um you know contracted covid19 I um I got off Twitter because you know it's just so natural to wish this man ill will and to want to wish him ill will you know and I don't like that like primal side of myself so I 
honestly had to get off of Twitter so I could just not see that primal side of myself because I don't like it. And right. I, I don't, I don't, I don't need that COVID. negative energy. You know what I mean? But yes, okay. if he dies of COVID, our lives I, I would celebrate. significantly I get would better. Celebrate. I agree with I'm you on that. Sorry, I was just saying that instead of directly speaking on it, I more talked about the attitude surrounding it. How, um, I don't know if you saw my tweet or whatever from like two days ago, or it was the night it happened. Um, I was just, I was mainly just concerned on Twitter commenting on how the conservatives are demanding empathy when the entire year it has been a complete denial and a downplaying of the severity of the pandemic and basically spitting in the face of every marginalized person. So that tweet that I made, the tweet that said, that I can read it, it says, it's fucking amazing watching conservatives demand empathy when this entire year they spent it downplaying the severity of the pandemic and spitting in the face of science and basic human decency. Now, I tweeted that as soon as I found out about things and saw things on Twitter, and for account, for my account that has 882 followers currently, um, that tweet got 2,241 likes. Mm. And I have no idea how that happened. 23K followers. Mini, mini viral. That, can, can I, I just tell you that I love you and, and, and I really appreciate you? Oh, Damn, I feel the same thing about you, Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I, the one that has the following. I, I really don't know Followers how that happened. Followers mean nothing. I love you. You're, you're, you're absolutely right about that. People are, are, are just fed up with this double standard. You know, you got a guy in the office, most powerful office of the land, who's still always a victim. Yeah. Bitch, you are president. You are not a victim anymore. You're the most powerful person on this earth. You know, you, you, you're, mm. you're, you're shoveling taxpayer funds into your businesses. Your, your, your idiot family is in official, unofficial positions all throughout our government. Your son-in-law is essentially in charge of, you know, both creating new life and exploring the Andromeda galaxy and everything in between, you know, yeah. you're not a, you're not a goddamn victim anymore. Okay, you never were. Anybody born with a platinum spoon in their mouth like him has never been a victim once in his entire life. I have but, a small loan of a million dollars to start. Who the fuck says that? I'm sorry. <laughs> this, is, this is the guy that's so out of touch, though, that he believes Biden's tax plan, which targets people over $400,000 a year, is 82% of Americans. Right. That, that, that's certainly what? legitimately what he what? thinks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what? he said that. Oh, my His... God. I was just telling myself that I need to eat more bands canned food because I'm poor. <laughs> <laughs> what? I ain't never made that much money in my life. I had a good job and I only made like 56k but got 400k? What? This is what happens. Everybody about make that kind of money. This is what happens with somebody who grew up literally shitting on a golden toilet. Yeah. Well, you okay, can't... okay. Okay. I would shit on a golden toilet if I could. I would too. I'm not even. I'm not even slamming him for that. I'm just saying, man of the fucking people, he ain't. Well, we all knew that. You don't need to tell anybody. Like, well, wow, you're sitting on the choir right now. Preach. Preach. Everybody's demented grandfather. You know, everybody has a family member like Trump. In in my case, it's my dad. Okay. My dad is just like that, and it's it's horrifying. 
does anybody else notice how uh, President Trump stands? I hate calling him President yes. Trump. He stands like he's about to get fucked in the ass, okay? He does. <laughs> That there, there was an article about why that why that is though, and it's fascinating. Okay, so it turns out that Trump, no, he's actually five foot two. He's short. He wears, yeah, he wears these shoes that make List. him almost a foot taller, but yep. they make him stand funny. They're like heels for dudes. He right. What? Yes. Yeah. It's the craziest thing. Because of his stomach. No, no, it's because he's got the funny shoes and he doesn't know how to balance himself. That's it. He's That's exactly right. He doesn't know how to walk either. He's always tripping around. Yeah, he's been wearing heels longer than any of us. And he can't, and he can't raise a glass. <laughs> that makes sense. If he's wearing heels, like, how, yeah. he's off balance. You know, if I was 80 years old, I wouldn't be wearing heels. Have you ever tried he's to like wear seven, heels just in your everyday life? It sucks. They make him six foot five. Can you even imagine? So Can you like, imagine doing everything with stilettos? That would he, suck. He not yeah. only has uh, he not only has those lifts, but he he clearly has some type of dementia or 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 you know something mentally going on there. You know, there was a comedian that came out about two years ago. He worked on The Apprentice uh, back in the day, and he said he used to see uh, Trump blow blow lines of Adderall uh, in between scenes. And, uh, you know, he doesn't drink. He doesn't drink at all. Uh, apparently, he had a family member who died of alcoholism. Uh, so he, he's never had a drink alcohol in his entire life. Uh, let's be honest. That dude gets fucked up somehow. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not just from paying yeah. off porn stars. He's, he's doing something else. Former. <laughs> <laughs> Porn stars can go on to be very successful people. I, 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 no, no shaming for porn stars. That's a job, man. That's hey, a job that 98% of the world would do if they could get paid for it. So fuck hey, anybody who if, says they wouldn't. If one rich, one rich white guy wants to blow Addy off my ass, whatever. <laughs> hey, for the right amount of money, I would care. Yeah, right. Like you know, it's kind of hard to turn down some of these offers. You know, a couple thousand dollars just like that in your hand, like you know, money's hard to come by. You guys right. know it. I know it. I've been poor all my life. I grew up in a fucking trailer park. Uh, Capitalism. <laughs> what? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Facts all around. Facts all around. Well, I don't mean to change the subject or anything, but um, I was talking to Crystal earlier yeah. this week, and she had some really just amazing observations, that I, things I had just never really thought of uh, that I, I thought were brilliant uh, when we were talking about the Iron Giant. Oh, and yeah. uh, I was wondering if she wouldn't mind uh, talking about that for a little. Sure. Um, I don't know if... Everyone here has seen the classic animated film, The Iron Giant, from the 90s. Oh, yes. Uh, I grew up on that. Okay, so I had told told Eva, and I said this in the group chat, so I'm sure Aaron may have or may have not seen it. I don't know. It just depends. But um, I had said that I she believe... <laughs> what? what? I, I'm busy reading. I'm not on my phone. What? Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. I go to sleep for like 12 hours, and I miss so much. I love so, you. Um, I think what what I was saying, I told I told Eva that I personally believe that the Iron Giant is the best film interpretation or adaptation of Superman um, that there has been so far. And what I mean to say that is, it's not a film about 
a Superman, but it's about the ideals that I believe that make Superman uh, best. And I can I think it can be extended to a lot of superheroes, but I feel like that film in general really understood it. It's why I want Brad, why I wanted Brad Bird to to go on to direct a Superman film because I feel like he gets it. Because I don't know if you remember the extent to which Superman is presented in the film, but it's presented as the main sort of uh, symbolic comic tie that makes the entire character arc of the Iron Giant himself actually come to fruition. Um, I guess I can do my minor spoilers, but it's been like the 12 or 20 year old movie, but um, the ending, like when the giant himself is flying into the rocket and saying Superman, that is a perfect moment of what I believe is core at Superman's identity is that complete selflessness um, and love for humanity. You know, um, I feel like, I feel like that sort of take on Superman has been not, I think, I think lessened a bit. And especially with the Snyder films, I don't feel like that came from it. So I don't know. I feel like the Iron Giant really understood it. I don't know if anyone else feels similarly to me about that or not. You know, I had just never thought about it. And, and that's, I think, why it, why it hit me so hard was because I, I do remember the Superman references in the movie, like, that, you know, where he takes the plate down with the S on him. He's like, Superman! You know, that was great. And the kid shows him um, the Superman comics and reads it and says, yeah. this is what a hero is earlier in the film, you know? It, exactly. And uh, maybe I just, I think I just need to watch it again, you know, with that sort of uh, mindset. I think the film improves when you're an adult watching it. It's kind of brilliant. It's it's masterful in how it's handled with a lot of care and a lot of um, maturity, you know. And it's 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 it makes me want to see more live or more animated feature films. Well, not only in like traditional animation, obviously, but just tackle elements like that in a way. I know Pixar does try to a degree, but I don't feel like they've quite got what iron giant had i don't i mean it depends on the film for sure but um yeah it's um i don't know it's just whenever i see the movie i just go like this is this is a superman that i feel like the world kind of needs and i don't think we need a as much as anybody i don't i'm not going to fault anyone for enjoying Snyder's films but i will say that i don't feel that he quite grasped the risking to willing to give one's life and one's whole being to help other people his his superman was more like um i don't want to do anything with people oh wait lois is in trouble then i'm gonna save people you know if you compare snyder's films with um like the christopher reeves superman where there's like a whole sequence where uh where, where superman is rescuing a cat from a tree you yeah. know uh, with, you know, Snyder's Superman, which is, you know, Superman, the reluctant god, you know, where nothing matters because we're, we're all dead. You know, that's the thing they kept saying over and over again. Well, since you, I agree with you on the, all the Iron Giant. I never really thought of it like that, but I'm probably going to go watch it again now. But <laughs> I am too. Bringing up, bringing up Zack Snyder again for the third time in this podcast um, and how, yeah. like, our disdain for him. Let's just bring up Star Wars again. Yeah, well, you know, I was, your, I was waiting for like, that. 
like it comes up like every time. Like, what do you think about Star Wars, Mister Miracle? I don't really have a disdain. It's just I have criticisms of how the characters hand handled, and I, <laughs> and I and I and I and I the Iron Giant does kind of. So I feel like when people make the Superman argument, this particular Superman argument, I think they're they're looking at sort of a, a an era of the character. Uh, or, or a facet of the character. I think Superman has always been, you know, hopeful and optimistic, but there have definitely been dark Superman stories long before. No, for sure. I'm not saying I'm not saying he's not the first one to do it. It's just my you're preference. Totally, you're, you're totally 100% entitled not to like them. Like for example, I personally feel like dark Shazam stories are an abomination. I, I, an yes. abomination is the only right word. Says the woman who doesn't like Star Wars. <laughs> Yes. I gave up my passport to the Star Wars universe, and I'm very, very happy. Let's let's not talk Star Wars no more. I, I keep trying to bring it up. Aaron, why? Because we know it's going to reach the same conclusions. Yeah, I know we're all going to end yelling. Um, I feel like uh, our, my, I think it's my fault for bringing Snyder back into the conversation again. And you I did. I, I, you bring a taboo topic <laughs> up, I'll bring a taboo topic up. Whatever. Hey, hey, hey. So, like, Miracle Man. Uh, yeah. What do you think of uh, the the Snyder versus traditional uh, versus optimistic Superman uh, debate? Um, would you do you care if Snyder stands come and brigade uh, all of your accounts? Because uh, I, I don't know if you really want to hear what I think of Snyder's films. <laughs> um, I do. I do. I do. Uh, okay. So I'm going to start off right off the bat and say, and and you know, feel free to mock away when I say this. It's perfectly uh, perfectly all right, and, and probably earned. Uh, That's a uh, I think Watchmen is the greatest superhero movie ever made. But, but, the the greatest comic book superhero movie ever made. Um. For multiple reasons. Uh, first and foremost, you know, I, as I said earlier in the show, I'm a very big fan of Alan Moore, uh, clearly with my uh, nickname here. And, um, you know, the Watchmen, the Watchmen story, uh, I, I've been a fan of comics since before Watchmen came out. Uh, and it was the story that could not be told in any other medium. We, we said that for years and years and years, even as, you know, Michael Keaton's Batman came out and, and succeeded and and uh, Spider-Man and X-Men in the early 2000s and the MCU. And, you know, we all said it couldn't happen. And, uh, you know, when Watchmen came out, um, I was shocked at how, how well it was done, um, shot for shot. Um, you know, because of Zack Snyder, he added a little bit more gore and, and brutality in there. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's cool by me. Um, and uh, to be fair, it, the gore was already there. But yeah, he just, it was he, he well, it was. But he did, uh, you know, the part where, like, for example, in the in when they're they're cutting Rorschach out of the cell. Uh, did they need to cut that guy's arms off? I mean, they oh, just yeah, slit his throat, you know, um, and the, the fight with uh, Night Owl and Silk Spectre with the. Uh, with the uh, the gang members, the knot tops in the in the alley, they're they're much more smashing and popping bones out of skin than in the, than the that is pretty cool out of the uh, out of than in the comics. So I'm a, there's the disclaimer. Um, I love Dawn of the Dead. I thought that was great, even though it was a horribly anti-Islamic uh, Islamic phobic uh, film. Um, I still love the movie. I don't think anybody in their right mind should ever let Zack Snyder write another superhero story or direct another superhero movie from DC again. No. If we're talking the mainstream characters, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, he has no business doing them. Now, 
if somebody wants to go go make a superhero movie and he creates a superhero movie that much is much like the boys where you're dealing with these archetypes or arch, or, or, how do you say that archetypical archetypical uh, characters there you go um that's I will, a I will, back, I will back this up by saying that um Zack Snyder has no business making any classic horror movie remakes either no business but, yeah, yeah I can't even argue that, that. Let the man do his own movies. Uh, if he wants to homage, if he wants to create characters that are like a Superman and a Wonder Woman and Batman and play in his own universe and show what they would be like in his vision of you know, this Anne Randian, everything's black and white, fuck humanity, but I guess I'll reluctantly help him anyway type of situation. That's fine. Go ahead and do that. Don't fucking write Superman because that movie – my collection consists of a large portion of Superman comics. All right. Uh, my top three titles in my collection by volume of, of number of issues is uh, Action, Superman, and uh, Adventures of Superman. It's those three titles. I have over a thousand comics alone, and um, he doesn't know who Superman is. Those that movie wasn't Superman in my mind. That was a guy with a kind of similar story wearing the Superman suit. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I personally, I like him as a filmmaker. Just don't think he should be making a series of films about characters that are supposed to present the counterpoint to Marvel, which Marvel's always been a darker, historically, a darker, more grounded in realism and the real world uh, type of publisher. And DC was always supposed to be. I mean, they have a pantheon of godlike characters. You know, they were supposed to be examples of better things. Do you think just in general, though, that the pendulum might be swinging in the other direction now? Yes. Yes, absolutely is. It absolutely is. I think so. um, I think what, what makes um, – I think what made the people's reactions to Snyder's films, too, different is this was supposed to be the answer to the MCU, right? Like the ultimate on-screen connected universe version of these characters. And the films right. feel like Elseworld. Star stories. Yes. The deconstructionist. And I feel like that was the wrong approach to take yes. specifically with these films. I, I the only the only deconstruction superhero Superman story that I like is Red Sun because that mm-hmm. is told pretty well. You know. Not very well. Um I'm not I'm not big on I'm more big on the oh. you know, the blue boy scout <laughs> yeah. uh sort of mm-hmm. Positive, hopeful version, and I, I'm not going to fault anyone for enjoying like a deconstructionist take on the character. Sure. But I do say I do want that more. It's almost why I enjoy the uh, the CW verse version of Superman more. You know, it's, it's a bit more um, familiar. It's not exactly perfect, but because they barely use him, except for like in crossovers and stuff. What do you think of like Injustice Superman? Yeah. I feel like I like the game enough to and he just gets mentally broken, you know. I feel like it's becoming more um, way too common to try and do dark Superman now. I feel like the pendulum has swung so hard in the other direction that has become a cliche. It's like they're doing it again in the new uh, Suicide Squad video game. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, they are. I'm excited for the Suicide Squad game, but it's just like. Again? Or Superman again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, they, but in that one, isn't he, like, possessed by Brainiac or something? Yes, but, but still. But that's not even, like, like, that's not even new either, is it? I don't think so. No, it's not. Uh, but, but it, oh, yeah, they've done that a million times. But uh, the difference is that uh, this one is done in a, a super high-budget video game with amazing graphics. and Please, <laughs> yeah. alone. Just, just let okay. them be. I mean, 
They should do a new video game of Superman. I they haven't tried that. They I think they're too scared to do that, though. I don't know why. Like, I know Rocksteady why. Should, should have gone, <laughs> Rocksteady should have gone on from doing Batman and did Superman afterwards. Should have, but you know they're 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 very much Superman shy. Superman Returns on Xbox was a was a clunker of a game, and Superman N sixty four may have been the worst game on the entire platform. Rings, rings, Might be one, rings. one of the worst games of all time. I own that game. <laughs> now you know why I'm saying rings, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I made it past the rings, believe it or not. There's more rings. You know, honestly, <laughs> there are might, more rings. Yeah, it might deserve more scorn than E.T. for the Atari oh, yeah. 2600, because if you look into the history of E.T. for the Atari 2600, it's literally a guy being forced to make a game within, like, uh, by himself in, in two, like, two months. Danny yep. Scott Warshaw. I, I, I don't know. I, I think that one was the worst video game of all time, and it legitimately deserved uh, the, the scorn that it got. E.T. for the Atari was, was the worst. But he was still forced to make a game within two months by himself. Right. Right, I mean, Superman, Superman for the 64 not only had two years, it was also pushed back from a pre-Christmas release to a post-Christmas release and given an extra six months to polish up, and it still came out as a raging dumpster fire filled with cat turds. Rings. <laughs> Rings. <laughs> oh, my. There was actually an arcade game for Superman that came out, I want to say it was like 1983 or 84, and it was a side scroller, and then it was a up and down scroller. And you could be regular Superman, or if you were player two, you had a red suit. Now it wasn't Superman blue, Superman red, but the Superman red was kind of like Superman red from the comics. And that was what I'm thinking of. That is the hands down best Superman game ever created. I'm going to buy that arcade game someday and put it in my house. I don't have it yet, but I'm going to do it. If you find it, uh, let, let me know. I, I might go in on that with you. <laughs> I have an emulator on the PC. I can play the ROM anytime I want, but, you know, I got to get that cabinet. Well, the controls on it were really cool, too. Like the, the button configuration and the joysticks on that, it was really neat. It was uh, unusual for the time before or since just because of uh, how many combo buttons it had on it and the things you could do. Very cool game. Very cool game. Love so it. unfortunately, we are running out of time, aren't we? Yeah, I yeah, I think I think I think with this topic can... about Superman, I think that 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 brings a pretty good end to this another solid podcast, right? <laughs> another full circle, another talking about Snyder. Is this going to be a thing on every at single episode? Did, at not? least at least we didn't say make Superman great again. Uh. No. Let's no, just bring it back. Let's just bring it back to Rob and do full circle. Yeah, full circle. Well, it's been a an, an excellent time. This is always a super fun podcast to record. Um, I want to um, give everyone here the chance to plug away whatever they have, and specifically, you. I, I don't know if you want to go first, Miracle Man, or whatever, but just let's uh, yeah just to say what you're working on or who you need to follow or whatever it, well you know i'm i'm uh i'm really just somebody who likes to talk about comics on twitter uh i post books all the time come over and see me over there my handle is at komoda k-i-m-o-t-a one nine seven seven uh we can talk about comics we can make fun of comics gate uh we can uh poke fun at trump um what was that you know again? what what's that? Uh, K I M O T A one nine seven seven. I actually just followed you a little while ago, Aaron. Um, 
So and, uh, when you say the word, do you uh, do you just turn into a, a magical fighting being? I have a, a, every time I've said it now, I've had to, I've had to, I've turned back into it. So you know, it's kind of tough. I got to be real careful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, oh, uh, I have definitely. a uh, I have a, a I do a little YouTube show. I'm a co-host uh, uh, called Not Near Mint. We are on uh, every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern uh, time uh, with my co-host Rob Worst, Lady Fantastic, and Comics on the Mind. Come on by and see us there. I can Thanks. vouch for how great of a show it is. By the way, I have. Uh, <laughs> I've been interloping in their chats for quite a while. I'm really enjoying it. I will make it a point to watch more of your content. That'd be great, Crystal. Yeah, of course. Awesome. So I'm, uh, I'm Crystal Williams. You can follow me on at on Twitter at c h r y s t a l w r o x. Um, you can follow me there, and I'm also a writer, and I have a Medium page, so you can read my articles on there. Or, you know, you could just stalk me on Twitter and say hi. I'm down for anything. I'm uh, Eva Webb. My uh, Twitter handle is Eva is adorable uh, because I am. I, I earned that one. Um, I'm on another podcast called uh, Nerdfic Strangers, which is awesome. And uh, nothing else really going on. I'm working on writing something, which is exciting. Uh, but nothing as cool as what Aaron's working on. So uh, that's all I got. Wait, what am I working on? I don't know. You see, you're always working on cool projects. I am. That that's the thing. You see, um, I always start. Pro- I always have this like incredible idea, and I start writing this incredible comic, and then I just stop, and I never finish it. <laughs> I, I do this the exact same thing. Don't feel bad. Um. So my name is Aaron. Um. I am usually on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Aaronsifer. E R I N S I F E R. I'm also the same name on Twitch, um, twitch.tv slash Aaron Siffer. And um, it's October, and we've been doing a lot of, like, playing a lot of spooky games. It's really fun. You guys can see me get jump scared and scream. It's it's always a blast. My Twitch chat is amazing. It's always a nice place to hang out. Very, very inclusive. You know, we, we, we like to make a welcoming environment on my Twitch channel. Um, other than that, I've been, like I just said, I've been writing, you know, half projects. Nice. I can't wait for them to become reality, Aaron. Yeah, someday, maybe. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that's our show. Don't forget to come back next week, where we'll have someone interesting on to nerd out with us. Today's bumper music has been graciously provided by Vance of Japan. See you next time.